All right, in the name of Jesus, we have prayed. Amen. Father, we give you thanks for today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can we declare that word therefore? I want to let's go. Now, now I, I declare and revelation in the knowledge of him, and I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will, and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work, and I'm increasing the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. His word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 I said amen. amen. All right, the Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. Now please open your Bibles if you have it to the book of Ezekiel chapter 1. I want to start reading from there today. We are going to read two portions. First of them is um, the book of Ezekiel chapter 1. After that we'll go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We are looking at the encounter with true grace and I want to read two experiences of what grace is about. What we have been seeing is the fact that grace is the way by which we are saved, and it's a gift of God. Truly, by grace we have been saved through faith, not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. Nobody can boast. And we have seen that the faith must be genuine. The main problem, sometimes when Christians disagree with themselves, there are some fundamental things that they are seen differently. That's why they disagree. But if you look at their hearts, a lot of times, there's no real disagreement. There was a time two brothers were disagreeing on the issue of prosperity. And when I spoke to each, well, when I heard the other person who was disagreeing, I realized that as far as he was concerned, what he called prosperity was having too much money that you have stolen. <laughs> of course, if a Christian believes that, um, you know, I've, had, I've heard preachers preach, by the time you finish hearing them preach, you must disbelieve prosperity. You, must, you can't believe in prosperity. You cannot. Because they start preaching funny things. Like gather your money together and sponsor a gubernatorial candidate. And then when your candidate wins, you start sharing all the contracts in the state. You, that way, you, you can't believe in that prosperity, can you? No, answer me now. That is iniquity. So sometimes people are arguing. You don't know what they are really arguing about. In the same manner, when you're talking about faith, how are people saved? The main problem that I think a lot of Christians have is how to define the word believe properly. That's what we've been trying to do. That, you see, we are saved by faith. We are saved if you believe it results in righteousness. But what is real believing? And I believe is what the Spirit is trying to get us to understand in this generation. That many people don't believe. The church may be full, does not mean they believe. They may have raised their hands during an altar call, it does not mean they have believed. That's what the, the Spirit wants us to know. Last time we saw the fact that Ezekiel had a very big church, so to speak. Of course, we're just using that one to illustrate. A very big church. The place used to be full. But God said to Ezekiel, don't be impressed. They don't believe. Jesus had a lot of people following him. He was not impressed. He said most of them do not believe anything. And that's, that way, he didn't used to take those people seriously. They were not his primary concern. If they needed food, he would give. If he could heal them, he would heal them. But the people that were important to him were the people he called his disciples. So those ones are the ones that would come and he would teach them in simple and direct terms. He would speak to the other people in parables. And disciples would come and say, why are you speaking in parables? 
you say they are not serious. They are deaf people. They are blind people. The words of Isaiah, all right, have been fulfilled in their lives. Hearing they will hear, they will not understand. Seeing they will see, they will not perceive. Yet they constituted the majority of the people that followed him. You see what I said? They constituted the majority of the people that followed him. And he said they can't understand anything. What does that tell you? Most people who go to church today, it's very likely we are like that too. The same Jesus is still looking and saying, your church may be full and you will promote some of those people in those churches to become title holders, deacons, senior pastors. And the last days they will come to me and I will say to them, I never knew you. It will happen again. There's no point running away from it. He said it clearly. Broad is the way. Broad is the one that leads to what? Destruction. Many are those who are working on it. No matter how many people you find gathering in church, be careful. Not everybody believes. Even those who, want, who wanted to support Jesus seriously, Jesus did not commit himself to them. He said, I know all of these people. He sees deeply into their hearts. He said, many of them don't believe. So what we have been trying to do is to explain to us again to know what does it mean to truly believe. I brought out two important characteristics or components of true faith. One, we said is repentance, and we saw many scriptures that helped us to understand it. It's not just the fact that I have accepted, I have agreed. No, repentance is part of it. Paul said what Jesus told me to preach was repentance to the people. And I started that from um, uh, Damascus. That was what he began to preach to Jews and Gentiles. They should repent. That's what Paul was preaching. So Paul will use the word believe at another time. He was adding everything together. The man who believes is a man who has repented. He cannot say he believes if he continues in his ways. It's not possible. And James said it also. James said, if you say you believe, it must show works. And those are the things I explain sometimes. People, so people just don't listen to you. They say, I say salvation is by works. Honestly, I don't understand. <laughs> That's the point we are trying to make. That it's only when even you yourself, Paul said, examine yourselves to be sure you are in the faith. That is, you can be deceived to think you have faith when you don't have it. So James said, how do you show your faith? He said, I will show you my faith by my works. So I must examine my works. I must examine my works. If my works don't say to me, I believe, I should know that I have a problem. I shouldn't go and start looking for one assurance of salvation. Why are you looking for assurance when your works, everything that's around you, is telling you things are not okay? You now want something. I'm not saying you should be listening to, the, to lying spirits deceiving you. I'm going to emphasize something, okay? That the thing that is more important to you is not to just want having one assurance, is to know that I can examine myself and say, truly, I am not the person I used to be. Do you follow what I'm going to explain here? And that's what, please, that's what we've been trying to explain. So, grace is free. Grace is by faith. But that faith must be what? Genuine. He said, if the faith is dead, James has explained to us, that faith can help nobody. He's explained that to us. If you read the book, if you read the book of James, we'll find it. We're not going to, into that now. The second component of the matter of um, believing that we've been looking at that really defines what it means to believe is that issue of what? Discipleship. Last time I explained extensively 
that your life is being changed. You are becoming like Jesus. Everybody must be yoked. Something is pushing everybody. Everybody is pushed by something. It's what is pushing you that makes the difference between one person and the other. And that is where God, that is where God has allowed you the privilege of, control, of controlling your life. And Jesus said it like this. Take my yoke upon you. He said, come to me all you that labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. He said, take my yoke upon you. For I am meek and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. How do you take his yoke? He's found out. He says what? By learning. Learn of me. He said in that Matthew chapter 11. Learn of me. Learn of me. As you are learning of the Lord Jesus, what you are doing is that you are discarding what you used to know. For example, your, the motivation for your life. Paul taught us. All the days, God knew me from my mother's womb. He appointed me to be an apostle. He set a path for my life. So what's his motivation? That I might complete the course that God set before me. That's the motivation. So whatever was pushing me before, when I learned that, I exchanged it. That is what is called taking the yoke of Jesus upon you. Anybody that's not doing that on a regular basis, his faith is doubtful. Her faith is doubtful. You know, this is the interesting part. <laughs> you know, the way the Lord works. And you know, every time says something. He said, the more you know, the more you're able to learn. Now, I'm going to say, during the week, which of course, many of you know my habits, so I listen to messages a lot. So there's a particular message by the Reprise series, a, a compilation, which I have. I've listened to them before, but I've not listened during the week. And it surprised me something that I had not noticed it. Maybe because I preached it on Saturday. I was not listening during the week. And it's something they say, oh, I told my wife this morning. I said, baby, look at this thing I'm even saying. And I was saying, I said, revelation, the law of all it. Listen, the Reprise Prince preached that thing when he was 60 years old. He was 60-something. He died at 88, like, five, like eight years ago. What does that tell you? This has been preached more than 30 something years ago. He said something. He said, Nobody has a right to call himself a Christian unless he's a disciple. Why? He said it was the disciples that were first called Christians. <laughs> it was disciples that were first called Christians in Antioch. Not that we just went to church. Let's put modern words to it. Who just gave their life to Christ, put up a hand? No. It was disciples. And you must understand, those cultures, those days, all right, they understood the meaning of disciples. Disciples were always in groups. They were people who were actively learning. And you see, it's those people that are actively learning, that are becoming like Jesus. That was why they called them Christians. Nobody has a right. To call himself a Christian, except he or she is a disciple. I said, and it took me two hours to prove this thing last week. I should have just come to play that one minute of the reprints for everybody. They will have all gone home. Not as if you have agreed, but at least you, you get my point. <laughs> the Lord is good. So, well, it's really true. It's really true. Christianity is not a joke. Anybody that's taking it as a joke is probably not a true believer. Let's get real. Let's get real. We're not trying to count numbers. How many of us are believers? Let's get real. Let's get real. You, look, if your friend is not a serious Christian, he's probably not a Christian at all. Let's get real. Now, because we need to define these things properly. Otherwise, we will not understand why there are so many churches in the country and we have the problems we have. No, we have a crowd mentality. The world is defining for us who is a believer who is not. 
They tell you that southern Nigeria is predominantly Christian. And God said, which southern Nigeria? He said, what do you mean? He said, they go to churches. Ah, is that what you call a Christian? No. Can we say southern Nigeria is predominantly filled with disciples of Christ? Can we say that? No, answer me. You're afraid to answer. You're not sure all of a sudden. We know as a matter of fact, very few places. I don't know where. Very few. Nobody can even answer for, any, for anywhere. For anywhere, for any country. If we drop the word Christians, let's talk about disciples. And I say this is a Christian state. What do you mean? That, okay, let's even, now, let me, let me use something I heard from David Pawson. David Pawson said that all you need for the environment to become changed, Christianized, or Christian values to be maintained is to have only 5%. There's a way they calculated it. That you need only 5% of the population to be active believers. Now let me ask you, do you think? Now I want you to just, don't answer, just think about it. Go to churches alone on Sunday morning. Go to churches. Go to Catholic churches, Anglican churches, Pentecostal churches. You go to all the churches that are there. Think about it. Do you think you are convinced that up to 5% are active disciples of Christ? Just think about it. I'm not telling you to answer me. If you want my own answer, I'll tell you that, oh boy, I can't bet my money before I, before I lose it. So we can see, therefore, that's why God has a problem. That's why the world has a problem. The, what the world calls Christians is not what God defines as being a Christian. For him, a Christian is a disciple of Jesus. Who's a disciple? Somebody who's actively learning, shaping his ways, shaping her ways by the word of God. That's a disciple. Not somebody who's on a membership register. That's not a disciple. Not somebody who one day, he said, I gave my life to Christ when I was eight. That's not, what they did. That's not a Christian. A disciple is somebody who wakes up in the morning and says, how do I serve my Lord today? How do I obey him? How do I become more like him? How do I take his yoke upon me? Last time I talked about it extensively. We're exchanging our thoughts. We are taking our thoughts and our ways. We are laying them down because they are inferior to his ways. His ways are much higher than ours. His thoughts are much higher than our thoughts. So we are constantly climbing higher by buying his thoughts. We are constantly climbing higher by leading his ways, by changing the way we reason as a true disciple. And using the words of the Red Prince, unless you are one, you don't have the right to call yourself a Christian. You don't. You don't. Now, it's important we understand this. Because, you see, we're trying to, our series is titled The True Grace Encounter. We really want to explain what it means, what grace does, how grace works. What does grace do for the believer? I ended last time with it. And, but you see, it doesn't, it's, it's not released the power of God is not released except we are truly believing him. That's what I'm trying to emphasize. That power, because grace is not, people call it unmerited favor, is beyond that. It, we can only use the word unmerited favor as in trying to explain that, you see, it's not by your own works. But beyond that, I don't know how the expression unmerited favor qualifies to define grace. You read the Bible, grace is power manifested. Grace is divine ability released. 
Grace is God's energy channels to work for the person who believes. That's what they say. He said, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, Paul was teaching us that we will understand the power that works towards those who believe. That's the meaning of the word grace. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. What is my grace? It is my power. It is my power that is made perfect in your weakness. That is what grace is. Grace is when you should have failed, you succeed. Grace is when Paul said, therefore, I will boast in my weaknesses. Grace is when my weaknesses are obvious and they are plenty. But I want to obey God. And I find the ability to obey him coming into my life, walking around me. That is what grace is. Grace is when I succeed in doing the work of God when everybody has felt I should have failed. Grace is when Isaac plants in the land. They know every, there's famine. But Isaac sows in the land. And the same year, he reaps a hundredfold. Not because, you see, that the man learned some farming techniques. No. He just went about the business in a normal way. But God caused rain to fall upon his own, his own seed. That is grace. Grace is when you prediction, everything we are looking at, should mean that this fellow shouldn't do well in life. But he does well. That is what grace is. The grace is when they say, look, he comes to an office. Oh, we can't employ you. You don't have the relevant qualification. Your degree is not good enough. And he says, no problem. Thank you, sir. Ten years later, the same man comes and puts a bid and buys the whole company. And looks at the man that interviewed him. That is here. You are still here? And so the man says, yes, sir. I say, oh, it is not a matter of yes, sir. And he says, do you want to continue working? And the man says, I like the job. And you look at the man and say, you've done a good job all these years. I will retain you. In fact, I'm promoting you. I'm becoming the MD. This MD, I don't like him. That is grace. Grace is when suddenly Esau is telling Jacob, yes, sir. That's grace. Grace is when the first is now the last. The last is now the first. Grace is when Paul says, I'm the least, I'm the untimely born of the apostles. He said, yet, I labored more than them all. That is the amount of work that I did. Put the work of James, Peter, John, put them together. They can't come near. But it's not I. It's the grace of God working with me. It's not me. Are you getting my point here? That's what grace means. Grace is the divine ability that he has prepared, packaged. And so that when he sends somebody on an errand, he says, don't worry, I have everything you need to succeed in it. Grace is the reason why God can look at Jeremiah and warn Jeremiah. Say, if you turn your back, I will disgrace you. Because he doesn't understand the amount of power you have, who should you be afraid of? That's what grace means. Grace is that power. That's that divine charge that attracts angels to an area and tells the angels, make sure this man does well, make sure this woman has no problem. That is grace. And while we're talking about it, many times people misunderstand grace. That grace is available, but they make nonsense of it because they don't understand what grace is. They think grace means that I disobey God all I want and everything goes well with me. That's why I spent the first two portions of this series explaining that that is not what grace means. That's not what it means. Grace is divine ability to obey. That's what it is. God gives a commandment and he gives me a power to obey it. That's what grace is. Jesus came to that woman. She was caught in the act of adultery. 
all the men there, they turned her into an adulteress. I don't have time now to be explaining the principle there in details. But Jesus came and showed her a different kind of man. All the men that wanted to stone her were adulterers. All of them. Every single one that carried a stone was an adulterer. Not a joke. I know what I'm saying. I mean it very well. I used to say, I think. Now I don't think anymore. I know. Because David Paulson gave me a scriptural background for, that made Jesus make that statement. I've been saying that thing for more than 10 years. No, more than 15 years. Maybe 20 years. Then one day I heard David Paulson quote a scripture that finally proved what I'd been thinking for over 20 years. I said, all those men were adulterers. All of them. The first man that girl was meeting that was not an adulterer was Jesus Christ. And Jesus looked at him and said, now this is the point. Go and sin no more. Moses already told her that, but she, she was still sinning. The other adulterers already told her that she was still sinning. The Pharisees told her that during the day and saw her at night. The, the, she was still sinning. And the, that's just the Pharisees. Yeah, the Pharisees, the teachers, the scribes. All those that were teaching. They said it during the day. They committed adultery at night. So she didn't have the power. Then Jesus came. He said, the law came by Moses. But grace and truth were realized through Jesus. So when Jesus said to her, go and sin no more. It wasn't the same caliber as the advice that Moses gave. That the Pharisees and the scribes sat in the seat of Moses and told her to. It was a different caliber. When, she, when, he, when he opened his mouth and spoke, something came out of him and entered into her and gave her the ability to resist the temptation. That's what grace is. So when Jesus said, go and sin no more, he was empowering her to walk against the spirit of adultery that was in the environment. Believe me, iniquity is a mystery and it hangs in the air. You cannot resist it by determination. No, you can't. You can't. Why do you think? You think it's easy. You just suddenly go out. Every, every single Nigerian is corrupt. You think they just like corruption. <laughs> if you read the reference on demonology, even though I think some things there are a bit one kind, but, you know, <laughs> you read the reference on demonology. Those men, all the Basilea Schlink, those who of those days, that they used to talk about demon, they entered to an environment. In fact, the reference would say, just look around, you know, the, you know the dominant principality in that area. The reference used to point, in fact, no, he quoted a man prophesying about four major activities of, of, the, of the satanic kingdom, United States at a particular point in time. They were evil spirits. They were in the air. They were walking. And he said, oh, the first one to come into operation was a spirit that broke homes, the spirit of divorce. And that one, his throne, Satan always, look, Satan has headquarters. He does. Every time he has an operation, he builds the headquarters somewhere. And to break down family values and break down homes in the United States, he built it in Reno, Nevada. And Derek Prince said, what was the physical manifestation? It was the first place in the United States where you could get divorced in an hour. You wake up in the morning, you tell your husband, bye-bye, I'm going to work. Or you tell your wife, bye-bye, see you later. In the afternoon, you change your mind. Say, Why am I saying to this girl? Then you walk into the court. One hour later, you are free. In the United States, also before that time, you will file notices. You know, in most parts, of, at least in those countries, I mean, let's take um, Britain, that was 
that taught us the, the law that we practice in Nigeria today, and the U.S. One party couldn't divorce the other. Both had to agree to the divorce. That was, that was how it used to be. But when that spirit came into operation, a principality was sent down, a power, sat down in Reno, Nevada, and turned things around. And in one hour, you could get divorced without your partner consenting. So don't think it's easy. Like we say, don't think it's ordinary eye, you know, like we say in Nigeria. That people there will just be divorcing themselves anyhow. No. The spirits are out there in the air. They are out there. Going to every guy. Going to every girl. Setting them off, setting them off from the time they are young for divorce later in life. Whispering to them how to go about it. It's called the mystery of iniquity. The girl will have been divorced four times and she won't know why. She never wanted life to be like this. After all, her parents were married for 50 years till her father died. Now she's 28. She's in her fourth marriage. <laughs> and then she now comes out. And that's, I don't believe the nonsense they tell you in the newspapers. Especially when you watch channels like CNN. Lies. She now starts campaigning on women's rights. The right to do whatever they like with their body. Then she goes out at night and starts crying. The depression wants to kill her. Because those spirits, they move in groups. The suicidal demon is waiting for the other demons to ripen this girl for him. One finally comes one they say, this girl doesn't want to commit suicide yet, so the suicidal one is angry. We have a job to do, destroy one destiny. And you boys can't do your job. So they invite one spirit from outside. That one is a demon, is a demon of drug possession. Drug, drug addiction, I have to say. Enters into her life. In a year, she's on cocaine. She's on heroin. And that one ripens her very well. Now you hear that one great campaigner for women's rights shot herself or died of drug overdose in her bathroom. You never know why. You won't know it's because one spirit came to Reno, Nevada, built headquarters there, <laughs> and began to destroy people. It's called the mystery of iniquity. I'm telling you. And Jesus understood that. So he looked at the girl, looked at the young woman, caught in the act of adultery. I was writing on the floor, looking at how those men were. They were operatives of Satan, charging the air with the negative spirit. <laughs> so he looked at the girl and said, listen, you can't cope here. There's no way unless I empower you. So all this, let me first tell you that you're all responsible for this girl being an adulteress. Any one of you that's not an adulterer threw a stone. And listen, they couldn't lie. Because now so Jesus, they look each person, they remind them. One will pick a stone, Jesus will look at him. Suddenly, <laughs> all the angels, will, they, they will show him the YouTube recording, Instagram, Facebook recording of all the adulteries he has done in the last 18 years. And they will let him know Jesus can see it. Now, what am I explaining? This is what I'm going to make. So you find out that that mystery is strong. Those men couldn't lie. Jesus was eyeing all of them one by one, looking at them. Riding on the floor, one guy will see his name. When Jesus does like this, we just see Caleb. <laughs> say, Caleb, I'm on your case. Last time you traveled, Caleb, you told your wife you were going for a business trip. How did he go? Caleb, he threw his stone and run away. 
He's throwing down. That's why Jesus discharged all of them. And now turned to the young woman. And that's why I'm talking, telling the whole story. And said, neither do I condemn you. Now, this is a new life. Go and sin no more. You know what he did? He injected the spirit into her. That when she rose up from there, if she said amen and walked in faith, every spirit of adultery will die by fire. They come into her face, you eye them like this, they go to hell instantly. All the demons will give her a gap. Any man that touches her, anyhow, he gets a heart attack. Say, so leave that girl alone. No. She's on fire for the Lord. Literal fire for the Lord. Why? Because Jesus released grace into her. And what we're talking about, true grace encounter, I want believers to understand that in this generation, you don't have to fall for anything. Yeah, you don't have to fall for anything. You can be broke, busted, baby, and disgusted. Thank you. We talked about it this morning. Yeah, they put you in the midst of a hundred million dollars, and you won't take a dime. It's called grace. That's the, that's the grace that took hold of Daniel. That's the grace that took hold of Shem, Mishael, Azariah, and Ananiah. That was the grace that took hold of them. And they stood in Babylon. They did not corrupt themselves with any of the things going on in Babylon. It's not human strength. That's what we're talking about. It's divine ability. I heard Pastor Kimothy praying earlier. I said, oh, this guy is in the spirit. And he was talking about the grace to obey. Just before I came up, I had written it down. That what do I talk about today? I said my message will be centered around that. The power of obedience. Then I heard him begin to pray about the grace for obedience, the power to obey God. I said, this guy is in the spirit. Because that's what the Lord wants us to know. Like one of the things I believe in very strongly is that, you see, we have, you know, there's one thing Chris Delvan said in one song. He said, we are up ahead and the word has to follow. You know, I like that expression. Why? Because we are not the ones following them. They're not supposed to teach us how to do things. Every new fashion they invent, we copy. Like, you know, I have a personal aggro. If, in case you don't know, anytime I see any of you women with your trousers, jeans cut, I'm angry. I can't tell you because it's not the word of God. It's just my personal vexation. It doesn't do the righteousness of God, but it works the righteousness of Banky. I de vex, I de provoke. <laughs> What's wrong with it? My only just is every rubbish people do outside that I will copy. I, you know, sometimes I just make up my mind. I say, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a righteous rebel. Yeah, that's Christianity. So I just rebel against some things I'm not doing. I'm just not doing. I'm just not doing. I only do. You shouldn't be tossing me to and fro. No, for a long time in my life, God helped me with that. I used to eat things other people did not eat. I like it. So you're always strange. Once you say you're always strange, you are near the kingdom. You should be the leader. People should be following you. That's what grace does for us. We go into Babylon, we don't fall for anything in Babylon. Babylon gets frustrated. Babylon says, ah, they call EFCC or your matter, and you're looking at them. Check anything you want to check, nothing. That is, they are just wondering, are you not a normal human being? I told you once in my office, because of a position I held, I told one, one was supposed to do a job for us. We had a lot of problem negotiating. Finally, I think it was the Holy Spirit that just helped me, because he refused my price. And I said, sorry, what you're asking for, I cannot recommend that to my, for my CMD to approve. So, so he said, he's not doing, I was supposed to leave, he was about to leave the, my office. So I said, why is this man so difficult? This is a job that he can do for half of this money. 
Then suddenly he struck me. So I called him. I said, sir, please come back. I said, I hope you don't have to give me a dime. You know what he said? Which one is your church? That was the question he asked me. I said, oh, so that's why we, are, we couldn't agree all this while. Because the man has factored in my portion. So I just told him, oh, you don't have to give me a couple. He said, which one is your church? And I want Christians to know, those are the kind of things that God is, that's all he's asking for. That's all he's asking for. You see how grace works. God has something mighty to do. He just said, my people, just do small, small things. Daniel, just go there. Is the king's business, not your business. Don't take his money. Collect your salary. Do what you are supposed to do. And let me do my work. If you do like that, I will make Nebuchadnezzar worship me. Many times rulers can't worship God. It's because Christians are local government chairmen and they've spoiled everything. They are Christians working for them. They were not different. So the gospel makes no meaning. Because the gospel that cannot change a person's life on this earth cannot guarantee eternity. If you want this gospel, you want me to believe that it will guarantee my eternity, let me see it change people's lives. Because now I know why Jesus said, look, the church has to be either hot or cold. Otherwise, he will spill them out of his mouth. Because when they are lukewarm, they are useless. They are a vaccination against Christianity. That's not my expression. That's R.W. Shambach. Shambach says many people have been immunized against the gospel. You know how you immunize people against a disease? You give them a small dose of the real thing. So when they experience that small one, they develop strong resistance. And then when the real disease comes, it can't move them. They have been immunized. So Shambach said many people have been immunized against the gospel. They've met nominal Christians whose lives were not different from the lives of other people. And they've made it clear to those people, Christianity is a joke. They've made it clear. That's why I tell, you know, you ask my wife sometimes, in fact, you heard me say it many times. I say, I've never, look, I have not, okay, let me not say it like, let me change my words. For a long time, I didn't like spiritual people. Look at those spiritual people. When I mean spiritual, let me explain now. I don't mean Bible spiritual. I mean, Physical, spiritual, behavioral, spiritual. And they see you, amen, praise God. The Lord said to me this morning, you know, carry a fat, ugly Bible as if they can't buy a fine one. You wear dirty clothes, like, the Bible says you must not wash, wash. I've seen, you know, and the reason was that I saw a lot of them when I was in school. Very fake creatures. Very fake. You get close to them, wicked, oh God, some of them, wicked Wicked human beings. Wicked. Uh-huh, I, I was looking for you. Yes. No, no. It's a story you told me. I just remembered it. The person that ran away from one of our holiness churches because of the... said those people are tormentors. There's one song I keep on liking. Then God said, man, no be God, no. I'm happy for that song. Because if God allowed me to be God for five minutes, he would say, Banky, where is the earth I created? <laughs> You have to ask me. I'll be licking my mouth like, Lord, I'm sorry. So I've smoked everybody. Where are they? I said, they're in hair fire. And even me, I'm on my way there because I don't know how I'll face you. <laughs> I've killed everybody. I saw too much hypocrisy. 
They will come out from the place of anointing, still offering money. I saw them. They deprive somebody of what belongs to him. They now come to you and say, the Lord spoke to me. This morning as I was praying, the Holy Spirit began to minister to me. And he said, my son, what I'm about to do in this generation? Hallelujah. What am I doing? And you're like, Holy Spirit, help me here. What's going on? This thief? And really, if you need their spiritual aspect before you find out the other aspect. That is why next time they tell you that the Lord says the Lord. Hey, we've heard the Lord say things before. It's called immunization. They've immunized you against real things. What am I talking about? True grace. That's not this, this joke of a grace people try to preach these days. As if it's the reason why, no matter how dirty we are, we are going to heaven. Believe me, you ain't going any heaven. You are a disgrace to the Lord. You are immunizing the generations of this earth against his gospel. Real grace is manifested to cleanse you of iniquity and strengthen you. That's the point. Against the mystery of iniquity working in the atmosphere. That is what real grace is about. That's what real grace is about. Real grace is what you put upon a young man, a young woman, walks into a campus and comes out of there clean. Put up upon a young man, a woman, goes into politics, does not steal a dime. Let them investigate from now to tomorrow. They will put him in prison. It's not a new thing. Daniel went to jail for doing nothing. It's not a new thing. They wanted to eat Daniel up. Grace is the reason why God will destroy all the people that conspire to eat Daniel. Grace is the reason that God releases to demonstrate his own righteousness. Because when he came against the enemies of Daniel, against the enemies of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, he destroyed them in righteousness. Yeah, he did, in righteousness. He could say, do you know why I'm destroying all of you? Because these men are innocent. What did Daniel say to Darius? What did Daniel say? He said, because innocency and faithfulness were found in my heart. He said, I've done nothing against God and nothing against you, oh my, oh my king. So that's why he shut the mouth of his lions. That was what he said. That was what he said to Darius. The ability to maintain innocency and faithfulness. In the midst of the, you know, when there is so much mystery of iniquity in the air. That's what grace is about. That's what grace is about. Grace is divine enablement. It's divine empowerment. It's God's power that enables his children to face his direction. When, it's, when, the, when the streams of the world, when the rivers of the world is trying to wash them in another direction. They can stand against the tide. They can stand against the, the pressure. That's grace. That's what grace does. Grace is not the excuse for them to continue in sin. So that they will say, God knows the fact that we are pastors doesn't mean we are holy. This is a pastor of a church who uttered this statement. Why? Because everybody knew him to be a womanizer. Listen, it's not the gospel of grace for us to believe that, you know, God doesn't mind. It doesn't matter. Jesus died. Amen. And because Jesus died, no matter what your body is doing, your spirit is clean, that gospel is from the pit of hell. It's a fact of lie. When the grace of God manifests, it tells everybody to depart from iniquity. So your spirit is clean. Just your body that is sinning is a lie. The, listen, there are doctrines we just hold on to. They are not true. The, Christ, the spirit of a Christian can be defiled. You let them say it's not possibly. No, it's a lie. If it was not so, why did Paul say, 
Let us cleanse ourselves of all defilement of flesh and what? Spirit. You know, I told you, common sense Christianity. Let's forget it. Let's read the Bible. Paul said we need to cleanse ourselves of all defilement of flesh and spirit. Perfect holiness. In the fear of the Lord. That's what real grace is. Real grace is when God comes into your life and says, don't worry. No matter what they put up to push you down, you will stand. You will not be able to bow to their idols. That's what real grace is. And it supplies that power for those who truly believe. It supplies that power. I said we should open somewhere. Ezekiel chapter 1. Now Ezekiel, at the beginning of his ministry, he had an encounter. I just want to read. I like to read these days. Let me read from verse 22. Where I'm going is very far from there, but let's just read. Now, I was describing what he saw. He saw beings. He saw manifestation of spiritual beings and all of that. Now, he said from verse 22, Over the heads of the living beings, there was something like an expanse, like the awesome gleam of crystal spread out over their heads. Under the expanse, their wings were stretched out straight, one toward the other, Each one also had two wings covering its body on the one side and on the other. I also heard the sound of their wings like the sound of abundant waters as they went, like the voice of the Almighty, a sound of tumult, like the sound of an army camp. Whenever they stood still, they dropped their wings. And there came a voice from above the expanse that was over their heads. Whenever they stood still, they dropped their wings. Now in verse 26, it says, Now above the expanse that was over their heads, there was something resembling a throne, like, a, like lapis lazuli in appearance. That's a gem. On that which resembled a throne, high up, was a figure with the appearance of a man. Then I noticed from the appearance of his loins and upwards, something like the glowing metal, like glowing metal, that looked like fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his loins and downward, I saw something like fire. And there was a radiance around him. As, now, in case you don't know, that's Jesus Christ being described. He said, as the appearance of the rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the surrounding radiance. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face. And I heard a voice speaking. I'm going to continue reading in a moment. But I just feel like saying something funny. I feel sorry for people like this. Though. Ezekiel. You're supposed to write to describe things that you have never seen before. Nobody has seen before. And you're supposed to now use what they have seen before to describe it. No wonder there's confusion. Everything I read now doesn't make any sense to you. Don't lie. Don't worry. I'm just as confused as you too. So if you're waiting for explanation for me, forget it. <laughs> He summarized it by saying, this is the appearance of the radiance of the glory of God. He said, when I saw it, I fell on my face. I don't blame him. Me too, I'll fall on my face, my nose, my mouth, my chest, my belly everywhere I'll fall. And he fell. He didn't fall because of reverence. He fell because he was overwhelmed. He didn't fall just because he wanted to honor him that was on the throne. He fell because he was overwhelmed by the glory, the radiance. And then look at the next verse. He said, then he said to me, 
Son of man, stand on your feet that I may speak with you. <coughs> hey, I should stand on my feet. Did you ask me to lie down when I lay down? <laughs> I don't know whether you are getting my point. When I lay down, did I, was I obeying an instruction? And I said, stand up. Did somebody teach me to lie down? And I said, stand up. I fell down because I lost strength. I fell down because the glory so overwhelmed me. I couldn't control anything anymore. I didn't have control of my senses when I went down. And I'm telling me to stand up. Sir, I do not have the capacity to obey. All I have is the desire to obey. The Lord said, no trouble. Verse 2. As he spoke to me, the word of God is not counsel. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus. As he spoke to me, the spirit entered me and set me on my feet. And I heard him speaking to me. That's why my reading ends there. The spirit entered me and set me on my feet. Grace is when God gives me the ability to obey the instruction that he has given. He gave the instruction. Then he gave the ability to obey it. That's what grace is. That's why I didn't like it when people like Jeremiah. We say I'm too young. So did I tell you you are going to go because you are so old? Are you getting my point? You know, I read A.W. Tozer. It's a book one of our brothers gave me. The Voice of the Prophet. A compilation of previously unpublished sermons by A.W. Tozer. Tozer said, if you are where you are right now, because of your ingenuity and your ability to maneuver things, he said, most probably, you are not where God wants you to be. That's Tozer. I was reading Amos. They told Amos, don't prophesy again. They must say, prophesy. I'm not a prophet. <laughs> Amos was very funny. Go and read the man's story. Amos said, I'm a shepherd. I was leading my sheep. Then he called me and said, I should come and deliver a message. You know, I said, I shouldn't deliver it. <laughs> no, Amos was very funny. Amos said, I'm not a prophet. Though. I was ever trained. He didn't find me in any school of prophets. One day the Lord appeared to me and called me. I'm a shepherd. And he said, Mr. Shepherd, go and deliver a message. He said, now, thus says the Lord, for you to open your mouth and say, I should not prophesy. He gave another prophecy and he finished everybody. Everyone said, I'm not trained. I'm just a shepherd. I'm just here to deliver a message. Don't tell me not to deliver the message. Go and tell your prophets not to prophesy. They are professionals. They know how to turn off the spirit and turn it back on. Me? I just hear a word. I come and relate to you. So God said to Jeremiah, did I discuss being experienced, being trained? The same thing with Amos. I didn't discuss experience. I didn't discuss being trained. I didn't discuss age. So do not say I'm a youth. What do you do? You just go and say anything I tell you to say. You are not going in your own strength. You are going in what? Your, my power. So Isaiah said, the Lord has sent me and his spirit. That's how it goes. Grace is what? Divine ability. That God sends into your life so that what he called you to do that you are naturally not qualified to do, you end up doing it better than those who are qualified. When that happens, Paul says, I am what I am by the grace of God. That's what grace is. That is what grace is. And that's what God is releasing. That's what God wants his people, his children. He said, the law came by Moses. Moses came to tell them what to do and what not to do. He said, but grace 
and truth. That is understanding of what is right and the ability. Ah, that's the emphasis. The ability to do that which is right came by the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Christianity is about. That's what it's about. It's about standing up in the perverse and crooked generation and not being bent by them. That's grace. Grace is not that no, no matter how bad I am, I'm going to heaven. That's a disgrace. That's a disgrace. We're disgracing the work of Calvary. We're disgracing the plan of God. We're disgracing everything that he planned for. That's not grace. Real grace means that, listen, go into Babylon. Let them eat anything they want to eat. You won't even have the appetite for it. Grace means that, listen, you will discover that the fire in Nebuchadnezzar's fairy furnace is cooler. You will know. You're, you inside your soul, you will be persuaded that the fire of Nebuchadnezzar's fairy furnace is cooler than the anger of God. So when Nebuchadnezzar says, I will burn you, <laughs> you find it funny. When he thinks you'll be checking which one you will take. So Nebuchadnezzar says, listen, I'm going to pour this hot water on your body if you don't jump into that fire. I said, decide now. You know you say, oh God, Nebuchadnezzar. You say, check out. You want to pour hot water on my body. If I don't want you to pour, what do I do? I should jump into a fire. He said, I'm sorry, we can't negotiate. As for the hot water, start pouring it. Because that fire is more dangerous. That's how it is. Or let me say, that's how it was. For Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They found the fire of Nebuchadnezzar. A light discomfort. When compared with the anger of the God they served. I like what David Paulson said. He said, the cure for small fears is the big fear. He said, the problem in this generation that people don't fear God. They believe that God does not get angry. And people are teaching it. They call it the gospel. The gospel of Jesus. God doesn't get angry. No. Paul wrote to Christians, it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. For the Lord our God is a consuming fire. It was not a message to unbelievers. What does grace do? Without ever seeing that anger of God, you just understand it. So when they say, if you don't bow, we will throw you into the furnace. He tells them, guys, that furnace is nothing. The God I serve, his anger is worse. Now, why am I talking about grace? Grace makes you understand that even though you have never experienced it. That's what grace does. Grace gives us perspective. We just understand things. We just understand life. That, ah, ah, no, you don't get it. You don't get it. What you're offering me is temporary. It's for this earth alone. I'm dealing with things of eternity. That's what grace is. That's what grace does. Look, grace just, it shapes your life for you. So that being a true believer, listen to this, I said it last time, it just comes out of you automatically, naturally. You are not trying to be. That's what grace is. Remember, grace is, you know, Paul says something. He says, through the grace given to me, I say to everyone, what does it mean? The ability to talk and say what is right is a matter of grace. Do you get what I'm going to say here? He said, through the grace given to me, I say to everyone, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but so as to, think, but to think so as to have sound judgment. 
as God has given to each person a measure of faith. Now, what was Paul trying to explain? He now went ahead and said that each one, let me just read that so I can get my quotations correctly. Please quickly go down there to Romans chapter 12. So I'm talking about true grace encounter. And I'll continue that in verse 4 of Romans chapter 12. He said, For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. He now says, Since we have gifts that differ, that's where I was, what I was trying to get to. He says, Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let each of us exercise them, that they exercise the gifts accordingly. Now that's how my, I'm using the New American Standard, so he explains that in full there. He says, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving and all of that. Now, let me just bring out what I want to bring out from here. You see what grace is? He said, we have gifts that differ according to the grace. Now, what Paul was explaining here is that you find some things coming out of you naturally and easily. You find some things easy to do as, of, as in service to God and to the body of Christ. That's what grace does. It makes fulfilling your assignment in life easy. Are you getting my point here? Yes, it becomes a natural thing. Even though there are challenges. Listen, I'm not saying there won't be challenges. But Paul... Despite the challenges, you know when Paul, you know, it's just today I was reading, and I just discovered something that when Paul wanted to explain about why he wanted to want to prove that he was an apostle, you know what he started doing? He started telling about all his troubles. Can you remember? I've been shipwrecked, is it three times? I've been lost this number of times. The Jews beat me for 39 lashes. Uh, there was a time I was floating for 48 hours because our ship. You know, uh, capsized. Uh, you know, they, we, we traveled, pairs of robbers, false brethren. So let's not even start talking about the hunger, which was not, the, sorry, the fasting, which is not Pentecostal fasting. It's not as if I saw food, I said, I'm not going to eat. There was no food to eat, and I would begin pray. You know, that kind of thing. When he finished ah, all of that, he said, This is proof that what? I'm an apostle. Do you know today I understood why he said that? He said, Because his strength. Is made perfect in my weakness. Therefore, I need to boast of my weaknesses. That's why I used to brag on those things. He bragged on his weaknesses so as to prove that even though we have challenges, and we had those challenges, but look at the results we still got in life despite those challenges. I don't know whether you're getting the point. It's like saying that we came to Enugu, we didn't have a cobble. We slept in the park. We had to beg for what to eat in the morning. We promised to pay, you know, in three days. Yet, the crusades were organized. Do you follow? 5,000 were saved. Ten churches planted in different parts of town. 5,000 disciples came in to the church, into the body of Christ. Many people were healed. Yeah, those of us that came to do the crusade, when we arrived, we didn't have a cobble. We slept in the park. We didn't have food to eat. So the first two nights, I didn't eat because we were busy and there was no food. Yet we stood there. We stretched forth our hands and we began to pray for the sick. And people were getting healed. He said, that is proof that we are what? Apostles. If we came with a massive team, one million dollars in the bag, and we have... 700 
radio slots of adverts. We have 100,000 posters all over town. And then we invited um, uh, maybe Samsung to lead the praise worship. And then we invited, um, you know, give me another person. Yeah, of course, Sinash was there. And then you hear that all these big men. And in fact, Two-Face gave his life to Christ. So he's giving his testimony. <laughs> and we arranged all of that. And we had specially trained counselors. All of them were walkie-talkie, talking to each other. Uniform. And then the stadium was full. And they would tell you that 10,000 people give their lives to Christ. At least they answered the altar call. You don't know whether it's our ability to organize. I don't know whether you're getting the point. Or the grace that we came with. You really can't tell. We were too organized. We were too organized. That's why um, Watchman Nee, he wrote a book, The Spiritual Man. And he began to doubt whether God is in the book. Why? He said the book is too organized. He said anything that God does has to have some scatter in it. That this book, <laughs> the man who wrote the book, oh, he was wondering that, God, are you sure you are in this book? Because I've been very systematic. I've put my points down line by line. And he said, I'm wondering. I'm not sure God is in this book. <laughs> that the things of God are never disordered. That's why the A.W. Tozer said it. He said, if you have been able to plot your life and you got to where you are now because of your ingenuity and your ability to maneuver things, he said, very likely you are not where God ordered you to be. What am I going to say? There were challenges. But Paul got results. Paul got results. And when he wanted to write to the people who were the results of his ministry, he showed them the problems he had that should have stopped this ministry from producing these things. So that is proof that I'm an anointed apostle of God. What am I saying? What is grace? Grace is that that comes upon you and makes all your problems, your difficulties, something difficult to explain when we look at the results in your life. I don't know whether you get the point. One day I went to a church. I said, let me pray for you. The money you have been looking for to start your business, may you not find it in Jesus' name. Ah. Even the pastor said, like, ah, sorry, say that again. The host pastor. He got confused. Which kind of prayer is this? I said, let me pray it again now. I said, many of you are looking for money to start your business. I said, in the name of Jesus, may you not get it. My friends said, ah, ah. Everybody was confused. Even you are one of the pastor. Did you go there to bless them or to cause them? Are you Balaam or what? what? Did they hire you? I explained to them, I said, this is why God will not get any glory in your life. You are looking for people to help you with money. I said, just get up and start doing what you know how to do. Let grace speak for you. You know, last Sunday we were teaching in Makodi. One of the things I explained to people that when we were talking about creating the atmosphere for the blessing to be released. When God was speaking to them in Deuteronomy chapter 6, he said, this words I've given you. You will first make sure they are in your hearts. Then you impress them upon your sons. He said, then what do you do? You talk about them all the time. And I explained something to them. I said, listen, what you talk about all the time is actually what you worship. And that many Christians worship the government, they worship economic difficulty, don't realize it. Why? That's what they talk about all the time. There's a problem in the society, they discuss APC and PDP. And they don't realize by that they are exalting the government above God. 
Many people want, they are having problems with the business and they keep on sitting down. And morning, afternoon, and night, they are discussing no capital. What they don't realize is that they are saying to capital, we don't realize that by doing all of that, there's no capital. There's no person. There's nobody helping me. The location is not good. All of those kind of things. We keep on saying all of those things. We don't realize by doing that all the time, what we are doing is that we are elevating those things to the level of God in our lives. That was one thing that God warned against. He said to them, today we've been looking at it in that determination chapter 4. He said, when I came to you on Horeb, what did you see? Did you see an animal? No. Did you see any form, any shape? No. What did you hear? We heard the voice. For that reason, he said to them, make sure you pay attention to that voice. Now, when I read it, what I just realized, that the Lord was saying to them, in effect, the other nations around you, they think God is something they can make. So they make that image of him. And they start worshipping that. But you have seen that you cannot do that. So what are you going to worship? Say you worship the words that I spoke to you. For that reason, when you have problems, you don't discuss the things around. You discuss the word of God. If you are here then, we discuss Psalm 119. And you find that in the midst of affliction, David said, I meditate on thy statutes. When enemies were against me, I meditated on your word. When troubles came against me, I focused on your ordinances. I hope you're getting my point here. So that when I have challenges in business, in ministry... I don't sit down and start analyzing. It's because of where my church is located. People don't like me. Nobody's trying to help me. It's because there's no money. My partner, that is my neighbor in the office, in, the, in, in, in that area, he's doing well. Why? Ah, you don't know his father. His father is a former governor. There are statements you make. You cap your ability to receive anything from God. Because what you are saying to God is that being a governor is God. That prosperity is dependent upon who your father is. There are statements we make. And God says, oh, these people, they don't get it. They just missed the point entirely. What are you supposed to do? Just sit down and be analyzing who God is in your life. What am I trying to say? Oh, this is what grace is. This is, what, this is grace I'm talking about. So that day I prayed for those people. I said, may all your expectations of human help be disappointed. That's what I was saying. What I was saying in effect is this. Just start walking where you are. God wants you to be able to tell a story in your life, which says that only God could have helped me. It's called the sacrifice of praise. No, when he said offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. That's what he meant. He said, listen, he was trying to explain something here. That these people, they, are, they don't bring their troubles to me. They keep on complaining about Buhari, about the government, about APC. They don't settle down and invoke the power of grace into what they are doing. What is grace? Like I said, it is when despite all the challenges, despite all the challenges, this man, this woman still succeeds in life. Now, learn a lesson from the fig tree. So I'm not saying he's a Christian. He was not a Christian. I don't know anything about his life, but I like this story. On the 50th anniversary of the existence of Johnson Publications, found, uh, that's publishers of Ebony, John Johnson got up and made a statement. He said, today I want to thank three people who made it possible for me to be the sole owner of this company. At that time, it was almost a billion dollars. He said, I want to thank three people that made it possible for me to be the sole owner of the company. How did they do it? If they had given me the money I asked for, today I would have owned only 25% of the company. He said, but because they refused, today I own 100%. Did you see that testimony? That's what we're talking about. Disappointment made him the sole owner. He said, if they had given me the money, I would have owned only a quarter of the company. Of course, if you know his story, he had to find 
ways to get things done. His mother allowed him to use her furniture to borrow money. You know what I mean? Collateral. He went to the bank, said, please give me $500. How are we sure you will pay back? This is my mother's furniture receipt. Are, are you getting the point? Now, we're not talking about, I'm not talking about the bank or the furniture or anything now, but the fact that disappointment was what made it possible to be the sole owner of Johnson & Johnson Publications. I'm talking about what? Grace. That was why I prayed that prayer for the people that day, and they didn't get my point. I believe it was by the Spirit. Listen, many of us in life, God says, listen, I want to remove everything. You know, Paul said, therefore I boast in my what? Weaknesses. The time has come for Christians to actually literally rejoice in their weaknesses. You know why Paul said it? He said, because when I'm weak, that is when I'm actually strong. Did you hear that? That is when I can't, I don't have a second class upper, I don't know anybody. That's when I can't get a job, the type I really like. That is when I'm really, really going to prosper. That's what grace is. Grace is when God releases his power and he mobilizes resources for you, businessman, businesswoman, in such a manner that only him could have done it. Toza said, if everything you have achieved to this point in life is a result of your own ingenuity and your ability to plan things, say in all probability, you are not where God wants you to be. So that is the most likely thing. In all probability, you are not where God wants you to be. That's what A.W. Tozer said. He said the reason is simply because he can't see grace manifested in that area. I'm done with preaching for today. In summary, what did Jesus come to do? Bring grace. He said grace and what? Truth were realized through Jesus. Listen, you know, God wants to flex his muscle. You know, just now, before I come up, came up to preach, I saw your son, energy. He sat like this. He was, and he, <laughs> the boy was flexing his muscle. He was there. He was doing this. I looked at his thin arm. So I went there and pinched the muscle for him small. And the boy smiled. That's the little boy flexing his muscle prophetically. <laughs> that was prophetic flexing. You know what I think? The Lord is speaking to us through that little boy. That me too, I want to flex. The Lord is good. Maybe next time I'll talk about it again, the sacrifice of thanksgiving. For you to understand what God loves in the sacrifice of thanksgiving. We have one or two messages in our collection on that. We should do another one to add to it. On the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Christians think that, you know, that's how we Pentecostals have been. No, not Pentecostals, all of us Christians, you know, because... That churches really collect money during what? Thanksgiving. That's our fundraising. We now teach people that sacrifice of Thanksgiving is you just say, God, you have been so good to me. You bring your checkbook and clear your account as offering for the day. Really, it's a good thing. If you can do it, fine. But we don't really realize what the sacrifice of Thanksgiving is that God is asking for. God is not asking for the volume of money or the animals you bring. What is asking for, for you to give him the opportunity to do something that you have no choice but to say thank you. I don't know whether you get the point. It's not the volume of money or animals that David and co brother was the issue. It's that, ha, we were almost dead. Then we cried to the Lord. Then he brought deliverance. 
Now that we have been saved from death, even if it's a rat we offer, I don't know whether you're getting my point. It is the reason we brought it that rises to heaven. That's what he calls the sacrifice of what? Thanksgiving. I'll read that scripture next time from Psalms. It's crucial. That's what grace is. I want believers to know two things. One, grace is saying that no matter what the troubles outside there might be, you will not fall because of it. Somebody say amen. Amen. No matter the pressures to disobey God, grace is the empowerment not to. And the second side I just added to it to explain what Paul meant when he said, let's just read that portion, Paul's own speech, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I said we're going to read two. So let's just read the second one and I close. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's just read what Paul said. Then, okay, just open to that then. At the same time, just open. Let's read both. Also open to 2 Corinthians. Let's just read both of them. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now we'll just read 2 Corinthians. Now, just so as to save time, we probably will come back to this later, but let me just read um, a few verses. Um, from verse 15 around verse 3, it says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, and that he appeared to Cephas, in verse 6, to appear to more than 500 at one time, many of them who are still alive, we are still alive when he was writing. And they appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Verse 9, For I am the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored more than them all, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. That is, it was not by my energy, not by my knowledge, not by anything inherent in me as an individual, but the power of God manifested towards me. That was how I was able to achieve the results that you are seeing all of you now. Then when he was writing later, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he talked about boasting, and how he desperately wanted to refrain from boasting. And the reason is that, you know, the strength he had, if he bragged on them, he became weak. He said, but let me speak a bit. Verse 7, he said, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself. Don't ever forget, whether you are Paul, or whatever you might be, whoever you might be, pride, anytime it comes into anybody's life, the fellow is going down. No matter who he is. So God did Paul a favor. He said, There was giving me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. At this point, I cannot analyze, I don't, I'm not going to analyze what um, that messenger of Satan is, even though it's very clear here. He said, Concerning this, verse 8, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. In verse 9, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in your weakness. Most gladly, Paul said, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, insults, distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong.
Now, I want everybody to say after me. Say, when I am weak, then I am strong. Of course, you know what that strength means? The grace of God fully manifests. Say it again. When I am weak, then I am strong. Say it again. No matter how weak I am, I am strong. Because the grace of God is working in my life. Say, I am a believer. Say it like you believe it. I am a believer. Say, Jesus has brought grace for me. Listen. People are crossing from Libya across the Mediterranean to Lampedusa. Why? They think prosperity is in Europe. Most of them end up in camps. Some of them now desire to be repatriated. Then just repatriate me. I'm going back home. Foolishness is when we think that strength is somewhere else. Yeah. Are you getting my point? Many people have relocated to where the environment looks good and they left grace back where the environment was bad. Because grace needed what? The weakness. I don't know whether you're getting the point. Listen, as believers, don't look for where things are easy. Look for how to tap into grace. Anytime you're in a difficult situation, learn to rejoice. Why? Because when you are weak, the truth is that that is when you are stronger. If your father is Bill Gates and he wills $500 million for you, start crying. In fact, go and look for something else to do that does not require money because you are too strong. I don't know whether you get my point. Yes. Yes, you are too strong. So, okay, good. What about now that I don't have any father that left anything for me? What does it mean? Rejoice. Because now that you are weak, that is when you are actually what? Strong. That is true Christianity I've preached to you this evening. Let's bow down our heads. I want to just thank the Lord. I want to say, Lord, thank you for grace. Thank you for grace. Thank him from the bottom of your heart. Know now that the pressures of life cannot, they can't carry you if you truly are a lover of the Lord. Thank him for the grace that he has sent into your life today. As a believer, you have power working on your behalf. Paul had to pray that people will recognize it. Because he understood that Christians didn't get it. I wanted to pray that prayer. Say, give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you, that the eyes of my understanding may be enlightened, so that I will understand the power that works towards those who believe. The power that works towards those who believe. Say, Lord, help me. I want to understand it. Because if you understood that power, you will never cry over any disadvantage. Never. You will even wish for something better. Because when you are weak, say that is actually when you are strong. When you are in a straight land where you know nobody, no connection, that is when you are going to prosper. When you try to go to school, it's been six years you've tried, money didn't come. That is not a sign that your future is bleak. That is a sign that you are going to succeed. Because when you are weak, then you are strong. Give thanks this evening. Grace goes with you today in Jesus' name. Just like we were praying earlier, you have received grace to flourish. In the midst of adversity, you will flourish. I said, in the midst of adversity, you will flourish. In the name of Jesus Christ. Every disadvantage of your life is a cause for rejoicing now. Paul said, therefore, I will boast in my weaknesses. Oh, God, time to start bragging. No, I didn't get a good grade in school. Start bragging on it. Start bragging on it. I didn't go to a top school. Start bragging on it. It's time to start bragging. (laughs) It's time to start bragging. Yes, Paul said, I will boast in my weaknesses. I say no weakness will be able to stop you in the name of Jesus Christ. 
God's strength will be made perfect in the midst of your weakness. Amen. This coming week, as you travel up and down, God will keep you. Amen. The glory of God will be your rear guard. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. As a prayer, I pray for those who listen to me all the time. Listen, you will not fail in life. Amen. And you will not die young. Amen. These two things will not happen. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. God's glory will be seen in your life. Amen. In all that you do, you will prosper. Amen. Let's learn to activate grace. In all that you do, you will prosper. Amen. Listen. In all that you do, you will prosper. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Some people are here. They say, okay, I don't have work. I'm looking for a job. I have a new word for you. Stop looking for like work, job. Just say, what do I do? There's a difference. You know, work, jobs, I'm waiting for somebody to pay me, you know, employ me, 8 to 6, you know, 8 to 5. Let your prayer change and say, what do I do? And let me say it again. Once you locate what to do, you will prosper in it in the name of Jesus. Amen. No matter what it is, therein you will prosper in the name of Jesus. Amen. Your prayer is, Lord, what do I do? It's not just, Lord, give me a job. Lord, give me something to do. Let me say it again. In whatever you do, you will prosper. Amen. The grace of God will manifest above your weaknesses. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.